Well, I know we've talked about this before. Some people like fall, some people don't. I'm one of the ones who just really enjoy fall, and I like doing fall activities. Has anybody gone to like Ramsire Farms or Nickajack and enjoyed that? Yeah? Let me see. Raise your hands. Let me, let me just see. I'm just curious. All right. Not bad. I took the boys to Nickajack when the Potters were here with Trevor and Kim. Mary had to work, but I took the day off, and we went to Nickajack, and I went into the corn maze with Isaiah Jacob, Trevor's oldest son, and Elijah, and we got so lost that I, I was afraid we wouldn't get out. Like, we started putting corn stalks down in X's on paths that we had gone on. Isaiah was complaining, oh, I can't walk anymore. I mean, we were in there for like a good half hour and still didn't know where we were at. I thought we were going to have to cut, cut our losses, leave Isaiah in the corn maze and, and continue on. It was, it was legit. And the only way we were able to get out of there is you could see the silo. And I'm like, all right, we're just going to follow the silo. And if we have to go off path in between rows, we're going to do it. We're getting out of here. We made it eventually. I made two mistakes. So when you go in a corn maze, don't make these uh, two mistakes. First of all, I didn't look at where the exit was before I had gone in. That would have helped. Second of all, I just kind of went in blindly following the little guys and was walking around for like 10 minutes without really thinking, and that wasn't good either. Don't make those two mistakes. Hey, I heard Chase did an awesome job last Sunday. So glad to hear that. Um, thankful for young men and women that are stepping up here in our church. Hey, I, I thought I was going to do a new sermon series today, but I uh, felt as if we really needed to hone in on something else with our true worship sermon series. And here's what we need to focus on. So although true worship is loving God supremely with our heart, trusting him supremely with our minds, and serving him supremely with our hands, true worship also involves what we do here on Sunday mornings. And I felt like we had to make this connection here this morning. Because although, you know, worship is a lifestyle, and we've been taking like a thousand foot view of what worship is. Worship here on Sunday mornings is extremely, extremely important. And I thought we would be remiss if I didn't hone in on why we gather on Sunday mornings. And so... That's what we're going to do before we exit this, this sermon series. Um, so the question we're seeking to answer is, why do our Sunday morning worship services matter? If worship is submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all of our life, with all, of, all that we are, can't we just kind of worship God on our own? Can't we just go and live a lifestyle of worship? Do we really need to come here, you know, come here collectively on a Sunday morning? I mean, after all, it takes a lot of work to get here on a Sunday morning. We have to get up earlier than what we would like. 
We have to get our kids out the door in here without strangling them. We uh, have tons of things that need done around the house, right? Winter's coming. There are projects that need to be done before winter. Like, really, is this that important? This, you know, coming here on Sunday morning? Before we seek to answer this question, let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are with us as we gather. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be aware of your presence as we consider why this is so important that we're here on Sunday mornings. Speak to us, open our hearts and minds, and may that lead to us cherishing you more, loving you more with our minds, our hearts, and our hands. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So here, here are the four reasons. I'm going to give you four reasons. I think the Bible says a lot about why we need to gather corporately on Sundays, but I'm going to give you just four reasons. And then we're going to be looking at scripture passages that relate to those reasons because it's all grounded in the scriptures here. So here are the four reasons why you need to be here. On Sunday mornings, corporate worship pleases God. We're going to talk about that. God transforms us through corporate worship. God uses corporate worship to sustain us in a lifestyle of worship. And corporate worship magnifies God's glory. So let's look at each one of these. The first one, corporate worship pleases God. So the Bible makes it clear that God's redemptive plan for the world is more than just saving individual sinners so that they can have this personal relationship with God. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. God's redemptive plan is all about saving for himself an entire people, an entire nation that wouldn't just worship him individually, but collectively. And we see the future of God's redemptive plan, the future fruition of it in Revelations chapter 19. So if you were to read this chapter, and we're going to read a portion of it, you have this great multitude of people together, a great multitude of redeemed people worshiping God. That's where God's redemptive plan is heading. Um, in this uh, passage that I'm going to read to you, uh, the, the multitude is worshiping God because he has conquered Babylon. Now Babylon, used in this passage of scripture, is referring to all the evil systems in the world. The whole global network of human defiance and unbelief and idolatry. And so here in Revelation 19, you got the multitude celebrating that God has crushed Babylon. Check this out. Let me read these verses to you. After these things, I heard a loud voice of great multitude, of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to, our, belong to the Lord our God. And then skipping to verse 4, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, 
all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. As I heard, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Can you imagine such a multitude that their shouts of Alleluia and their shouts of praise to God, they sound like mighty thunderings and many waters. It's just a, a remarkable thought. And this is where God's redemptive plan is heading. Celebrating that God has crushed evil once and for all. We're going to be so full of gratitude for that that we're not going to be able to help but just worship him uh, so loudly, so fully with everything we've got as we sing praises to him. So you can see that God's ultimate plan for us is not that we have these own little compartmentalized individual relationships with Jesus. No, that we would be a redeemed people worshiping God for who he is and the redemption he's brought to us. Check this out. Revelation 5 tells us, in fact, that right now, this just blew my mind as I really started thinking about that right now as we speak, there are many angels, thousands upon thousands of angels and living creatures and the elders that, and it, that are worshiping God right now in the throne room of heaven. Revelations 5, 11 through 12 says this, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. So this is the Apostle John getting a, a view into the throne room of heaven. That this is happening right now. The living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Quite remarkable. Now here's what just really blew my mind. So there are these spectacular verses in Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. And what the author of Hebrews tells his audience and what he tells us this morning is that in addition to a multitude of angels that are currently worshiping God in his throne room in heaven, those who have died in faith are together with those angels as we speak right now worshiping God in his throne room. Think about that. And what the author of Hebrews tells us, when we gather to worship God corporately, what we're doing is we are joining in, we are participating in the worship that is happening in God's throne room with the angels and with the saints that have died. We are joining in their worship. Listen to these verses in Hebrews 12. 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. It's remarkable to think. What a thought to think that when we gather on Sunday mornings, we are here worshiping with those who have died in the faith. You know, uh, Pat Curzon was a very special person uh, to this congregation. She, she was the wife of the founding pastor of this church, Roger, who plays keyboards and guitars back there. And uh, people love Pat. Everybody loved Pat. Uh, the people of this church love Pat. And as I was thinking about this, that although she went to be with Jesus 11 years ago, and we stink, still, th- still think about her, and we still miss her, we have never stopped worshiping with her. A Sunday has not passed in which we have not worshipped the risen Savior with Pat. Think about that. And think about this. If you have other loved ones that have died in the faith, there's not been a Sunday when you have not worshipped with them. We're worshiping with them. So, let's go back to our original question. Why should we gather on Sunday mornings to worship God? The answer is it brings great joy to his heart. God loves when his family is gathered together to worship him. Revelation 19 tells us that's where we're headed. Revelation 5 tells us that's what's happening right now. Hebrews 12 tells us that we participate in that right now. Surely this wouldn't be happening in heaven if God didn't so enjoy the corporate worship of his people. Look, I always enjoy talking to Jim and Brenda before and after their whole families in town. Because I know, just based on what they tell me, there's like nothing better for them to have their children in one place. There's nothing better for them to see their children loving each other, spending time together, and being able to experience that. You know, I don't think God's any different in that way. God loves his family, coming together collectively to worship him. You know, God's people throughout the course of human history have got this. And that's why in the Old Testament we see God's people gathering together on the last day of the week. In the New Testament, we see the early church gathering together. They met daily, but they also gathered together in synagogues initially uh, on the last day of the week. Jesus himself practiced going to the house of worship. It says the, the scripture says it was his custom to go to uh, the place of worship uh, at, at the end of the week. And Christians throughout the centuries have been doing the same. So when we gather on Sunday to worship as a body, we please God's heart. We join the worship of the redeemed in God's throne room and throne room in heaven. We continue on with a vital practice of God's people throughout the centuries. 
and we anticipate Jesus' return when all the redeemed will come together to worship him as they see his face. That's the first reason. Probably don't need any other reasons, but that's the first. The second one's amazing as well. God uses corporate worship to transform us. That's why you need to be here on Sunday. Another reason. Look, God is fully present everywhere at all times. That's what we mean by his, when we say his he, omnipresent. He's, he's, he's always everywhere at all times fully. That's why David said in Psalm 139, 7 and 8, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Now, although God is present everywhere at all times, there are (laughs) certain places where God seems to unveil his presence to us and make us more aware of his presence among us. And one of those places is when his people gather together to worship him corporately. Matthew 18.20 says, For where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Meaning, I'm there in a unique, unveiled sort of way. I also think that's why the psalmist says that God inhabits the praises of his people. When when his people come together collectively, his his presence often is made aware to us. Uh, Yeah, we're made aware of his presence. It's, It's revealed to us. And when we become aware of God's presence, guess what happens? We change. I think most of us, if not all of us, can say that you've been here on a Sunday morning and a song that we've sung has just cut you right to the heart. Or a message that was preached just cut right to your heart. Or a scripture that was read just cut you right to the heart. And you were challenged or you were encouraged or you were comforted or you were spurred on to love and to good works or you were renewed. You see, God's presence is often uh, revealed as we worship together. Look, the individual can experience God. You know, the, the individual Christian can experience God for they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, right? But for the individual Christian to have the greatest experience of God's transforming power, they must be connected to the Sunday gathering of the local congregation where God often chooses to reveal his presence in a unique and unveiled way. That's why uh, a pastor by the name of J.D. Greer, when a person asks him how involved should they be with the church, he always says to to the degree that you want to experience God's power in your life, in presence in your life. Greer knows that as the Bible teaches, the church is where God's spirit dwells, right? It's the temple where God's spirit lives and the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts in the world. And so if you want to experience the healing of Christ, you got to be connected to the church. 
and the corporate gatherings of the church. If you want to experience the intimacy with Christ, you'll find it in the church. If you want to experience the encouragement of Christ, you're going to find it here in the church. If you want to experience the provision of Christ, you're going to find it here in the church. To be cut off from Christ's body is in many ways to be cut off from Christ himself. His power to heal, to transform, to instruct, to direct, to comfort. You need the church, including the corporate worship of the church, in order to be transformed by Christ. So, when we come together to worship, we should expect and anticipate that God is going to reveal his presence to us, and that when he reveals his presence to us, we are going to be transformed. Do you come with that expectation and that anticipation? Number three, so corporate worship pleases God. God uses corporate worship to transform us. Number three, God uses corporate worship to sustain us in a lifestyle of worship. So we've established that we need to gather collectively. The question then is, what do we do when we gather together? What should we do? What activities should we engage in? And here's the truth. The the New Testament isn't extremely prescriptive on what we are to do when we gather together. And so I think there needs to be liberty in the non-essentials and unity in the essentials. So what are the essentials? What should be the essentials of our gathering when we come together in corporate worship? Well, God works in many ways, but he has committed to transforming us and sustaining us in a lifestyle of worship through these things that we call means of grace. I believe that the Bible teaches that God is uniquely present among us in an unveiled way through prayer, as evidenced through Matthew in Matthew 18:20, through the teaching and preaching and reading of God's word and a focus on the gospel message, as evidenced by Hebrews 4.12. The singing of his praises, when we sing his praises, he, he often reveals himself in an unveiled sort of way, as evidenced by Ephesians 5.18 and 19. And then through the, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, as evidenced by 1 Corinthians 10.16, and what we see by the Great Commission. These are the things, these are the activities that we are to engage in. These are the activities that place us before God so that we may receive from him. And we find these elements present in the very first gatherings of the early church. Check out Acts 2, 40 through 47. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So we have baptism. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God. In the breaking of bread, which is not only coming together to eat meals together, but many scholars think that is the Lord's Supper, and in prayers. 
Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, see, they're gathering corporately, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You see in this passage, too, another component of the early church's corporate gatherings was the pooling of resources to support the needs of, each, to, of one another, but also to support the work of God in the world. And so I think we can add the whole tithe and offering aspect to our Sunday corporate gatherings as well. Look, as we engage in worshiping through these means of grace, God not only transforms us, but he sustains us. And this is extremely important too. He sustains us in a lifestyle of worship. He gives us the fuel and the energy. He recharges us so that we can live Think of a lifestyle of worship. I like to think of it in terms of a bonfire. Think of a bonfire, right? That's what this corporate gathering is. It's a bonfire where we come, we experience God's presence in an unveiled way. We receive through each person's spiritual gifts. We receive God's presence through our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in our church family. And we are filled with the Spirit. This is the bonfire. And then what we do is, when we're here on Sundays, we light our individual torches. And we go out into the world with the light of Christ into our communities and our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our network of relationships. That's how it's supposed to work. The gathered in the scattered church. And there's supposed to be a rhythm of that. Because look, if we're away from the bonfire too long, what's going to happen to our torch? It's going to burn out, fizzle out, and our light will not penetrate the nooks and crannies of this lost and broken and hurting world. That's why often the first step to a person backsliding in their relationship to Christ is them separating themselves from the corporate gatherings of the church in the life uh, together of the church. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 emphasizes this. Check this out. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. The author is saying, look, don't forsake meeting together. Because you're not, if you do, you're not going to be stirred up to, to, to do the good work of love in the world. God is, God, corporate worship pleases God. That's the number one reason you need to be here. Secondly, corporate worship, God uses it to transform us. Thirdly, God uses corporate worship 
to sustain us in a lifestyle of worship. Here's the fourth and final reason I'm going to mention to you this morning as to why you need to be here on Sunday mornings. Why you need to not forsake our gatherings. Corporate worship magnifies God's glory. In 1 Corinthians 14, if you were to read the chapter, Paul, you hear Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking, and he's talking um, and saying that he, um, he believes that there's going to be unbelievers in the corporate gatherings of the church at Corinth. And so Paul he is emphasizing the fact that, hey, you Corinthians, when you gather collectively to worship, you've got to make sure that what you do is intelligible to the outsider. It's got to, it, they got to be able to comprehend what's going on. You got to have an order to how you do things. It's got to make sense to the outsider. And the reason why Paul emphasizes this is because he says in this chapter, God will use your corporate worship gathering to unveil the secrets of the unbeliever's heart so that they will be caused by God to fall down on their faces and worship him. And, to report, and they will report among the Corinthians that truly God is in your midst. This is a remarkable thought to think that our corporate worship, what we do here on Sundays, is quite evangelistic. And when we get together and we're passionately praising God, and we're doing it with sincere hearts, and we're loving one another, spurring one another on to good works, and as we, sit, we engage in those means of grace, of prayer, and the Lord's Supper, and, and praising God through song, and scripture reading, and preaching the gospel, it can just cut right to the unbeliever's heart. It can reveal to them their need for a Savior because they see their sin clearly. And it has, God can use it to just catapult the unbeliever to his feet. In worship. And so I hope that every Sunday, I hope today, there's unbelievers in our corporate gathering. I hope. Not because I want people living in unbelief, but because I understand that when we're gathered, God's glory is magnified, it's on display. And God often uses that to draw men, women, children to himself. Uh, Bob Coughlin, he's a worship pastor and author, and he says this, God's inherent glory never increases or diminishes, but that glory is more visible when we meet together to worship him, when we come together to pour forth the fame of God's abundant goodness through singing, praying, serving, and preaching. More people can see that God is worthy of praise. As theologian Donald Whitney explains, when a football team wins the national championship, it gets more glory if the game is shown to millions throughout the country than if no one but you brings more to see it individually on closed-circuit TV. Public glory obviously brings more glory than does private glory. 
Likewise, God gets more glory when you worship him with the church than when you worship him alone. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is put on display. God is glorified through his people, not simply individuals. And so, why do you need to be here on Sundays? Because corporate worship pleases God. God will transform you through corporate worship. He will sustain you in a lifestyle of worship through corporate worship. And he will allow and use the gathered church to magnify and display his glory so that unbelievers may believe and trust and obey. That's how important Sunday gatherings are. Let me give you, to close, let me give you a few very practical ways that you can prepare prepare for our, our Sunday worship gatherings. Get enough sleep the night before. Get up in plenty of time so that you're not rushed to get here and stressed out to get here. Get your mind ready for worship. As you're on the way here, listen to music that praises God. Talk about why you're coming. I love to tell my boys, you know why we're going to church today? And I tell them things I'm teaching you. I don't want this to be a rote, this is just what we do because we do it. I want him to know. I want Elijah and Isaiah to be able to articulate, this is why we go to church on Sunday. Pray that you hear and encounter and become aware of God's presence in our midst during our service. And that he would work through you to reveal his presence to the others that are going to be here. Show up on time. And then commit to living out what God speaks to you during the service. What if we all did that every Sunday? What if we came with this expectation and anticipation that God is in our midst? He's going to reveal himself to us. He's going to transform people. He's going to sustain us for the week to come. He's going to bring women, men, and children to himself. and He's going he's to allow them to, and produce them to have saving faith in their hearts. I really think if we started to view our Sunday gatherings in that way, This is going to be the highlight of our week. If we view it as, look, we're joining and participating with God's angels and our loved ones who have died in the faith. We're participating with them in the worship of God in his throne room in the heavenlies. Mm. Today we get to participate in the Lord's Supper. And as we do, come expectingly. Come expecting to be aware of God's presence. Come expecting that he's going to reveal himself to you as we engage in this means of grace. He may enable you to see his sacrificial death for you in a, in a unique, new, fresh sort of way. He may convict you of unconfessed sin. He may comfort you in your afflictions. He may (laughs) challenge you to forgive someone as Christ has forgiven you. He may cause your heart to just well up for gratitude 
He may renew your devotion to him. Who knows what he might do, but let's come expecting him to do. Let me just say this to close. Do you see that worship is a lifestyle and that what we do on Sunday mornings is not the start of worship, it's the continuation of worship. And that when we leave the service on Sunday, we get to guess continue worshiping. All of life is worship. And do you see that when we get together and the different things we do in our service, it's all worship. We don't have announcements and then, you know, sing and then worship starts or we don't have a message and then we start worshiping again. It's all worship. The announcements, the singing, the scripture reading, the preaching, it's all worship.